Chapter Two of the Big Blue Soldier by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Two. When Lehman Gage set sail for France three years before, he left behind him a modest interest in a promising business enterprise, a girl who seemed to love him dearly, and a debt of several thousand dollars to her father who had advised him to go into the enterprise and furnish the funds for his share in the capital when he had returned from france three days before he had been met with news that the business enterprise had gone to smash during the war the girl had become engaged to a dashing young captain with a well-feathered nest and the debt had become a galling yoke father says tell you you need not worry about the money you owe him wrote the girl sweetly concluding her revelations you can pay it at your leisure when you get started again lehman gage lost no time in gathering every cent he could scrap up this was more than he had at first hoped because he owned two houses in the big city in which he had landed and these houses though old and small happened to be located near a great industrial plant that sprung up since the end of the war and houses were going at soaring prices they were snapped up at a fabulous sum in comparison with their real value this with what he had brought home and the bonus he received on landing exactly covered his indebtedness to the man who was to have been his father-in-law when he turned away from the service window where he had been telegraphing the money to his lawyer in a far state with instructions to pay the loan at once he had just forty-six cents left in his pocket suddenly as he reflected that he had done the last thing left he now cared to do on earth the noises of the great city got hold upon his nerve and tore and racked it he was filled with a great desire to get out and away from it he cared not where only so that the piercing sounds and rumbling grind of the city traffic should not press upon the raw nerves and torture them with no thought of getting anything to eat or providing for a shelterless night that was fast coming on he wandered out into the train area of the great station and idly read the names up over the train gates one caught his fancy Purlingbrook. it seemed as if it might be quiet there and a fellow could think he followed the impulse and strode through the gates just as they were about to be closed dropping into the last seat in the car as the train was about to start he flung his head back and closed his eyes wearily he did not care whether he got anywhere or not he was weary in heart and spirit he wished that he might just sink away into nothingness he was too tired to think to bemoan his fate to touch with torturing finger of memory all the little beautiful hopes he had woven about the girl he thought he loved better than any one else on earth just passingly he had a wish that he had a living mother to whom he could go with his sick heart for healing but she had been gone long years and his father even longer there was really no one to whom he cared to show his face now that all he had counted dear on earth had been suddenly taken from him the conductor roused him from a profound sleep demanding a ticket and he had the good fortune to remember the name he had seen over the gate Purlingbrook. how much fifty-six cents gage reached into his pocket and displayed the coins on his palm with a wry smile guess you better put me off here and i'll walk he said stumbling wearily to his feet that's all right son sit down said the conductor half roughly you pay me when you come back sometime i'll make it good and he glanced at the uniform kindly 
Gage looked down at his shabby self helplessly. Yes, he was still a soldier, and people had not got over the habit of being kind to the uniform. He thanked the conductor and sank into sleep again, to be roused by the same kindly hand a few minutes later at Purlingbrook. He stumbled off and stood, looking dazedly about him at the orderly little village. The sleep was not yet gone from his eyes, nor the ache from his nerves, but the clear quiet of the little town seemed to wrap him about soothingly like salve, and the crisp air entered into his lungs and gave him heart. He realized that he was hungry. It seemed to have been a popular afternoon train that he had traveled upon. He looked beyond the groups of happy homecomers to where it hurried away gustily down the track, even then preparing to stop at the next near suburban station to deposit a few more homecomers. There, on that train, went the only friend he felt he had in the world at present, that grisly conductor with his kindly eyes looking through great bifocals like a pleasant old grasshopper. Well, he could not remain here any longer. The air was biting, and the sun was going down. Across the road the little drug store even then was twinkling out with lights behind its blue and green glass urns. Two boys and a girl were drinking something at the soda fountain through straws and laughing a great deal. It somehow turned him sick. He could not tell why. He had done things like that many a time himself. There was a little stone church down the street with a spire and bells. The sun touched the bells with burnished crimson till they looked like Christmas cards. A youthful rural football team went noisily across the road, discoursing about how they would come out that night if their mothers would let them. And the station bus came down the street, full of passengers, and waited for a lady at the meat market. He could see the legs of a chicken sticking out of the basket as the driver helped her in. He began to wonder why he hadn't stayed in the city and spent his forty-six cents for something to eat. It would have bought a great many crackers, say, or even bananas. He passed the bakery, and a whiff of fresh-baked bread greeted his nostrils. He cast a wistful eye at the window. Of course, he might go in and ask for a job in payment for his supper. There was his soldier's clothes. But no, that was equivalent to begging. He could not quite do that. Here in town they would have all the help they wanted. Perhaps farther out in the country. Perhaps, he didn't know what. Only he couldn't bring himself to ask for food, even with the offer to work. He didn't care enough for that. What was hunger, anyway? A thing to be satisfied and come again. What would happen if he didn't satisfy it? Die, of course. But what did it matter? What was there to live for, anyway? He passed a house, all windows, where children were gathered about a piano, with one clumsily playing an accompaniment. There was an open fire and the long windows came down to the piazza floor. They were singing at the top of their lungs the old time-worn song made familiar to them by community song-fests, still good to them because they all knew it so well. There's a long, long trail a-winding Until my dreams all come true. And it gripped his heart like a knife. He had sung that song with her, when it was new and tender, just before he had sailed away, and the trail had seemed so long, and now he had reached the end of it, and she had not been there to meet him. It was incredible. She, so fair and false. That was the hardest part of it, that she could have done it, and then explained so lightly that he had been away so long she was sure he would understand, and they both must have got over their childish attachment, and so on. 
through the long nauseating sentences of her repeal he shuddered as he said them over to his tired heart and then shuddered again with the keen air for his uniform was thin and he had no overcoat what was that she had said about the money he needn't worry about it a sort of bone to toss to the lone dog after he was kicked out ah well it was paid he was glad of that he was even grimly glad for his own destitution it gave him a kind of sense of satisfaction to have gone hungry and homeless to pay it all in one grand lump and to have paid it at once and through his lawyer without any word to her or her father either they should not be even distant witnesses of his humiliation he would never cross their path again if he had his way they should be as completely wiped out of his existence as he out of theirs as if the same universe did not hold them he passed down the broad pleasant street in the crisp air and every home on either hand gave him a thrust of memory that stabbed him to the heart it was such a home as one of these as he had hoped to have some day although it would have been in the city perhaps for she always liked the city he had hoped in the depths of his heart to persuade her to the country though now he saw as in a revelation how futile such hopes had been she would never have come to love sweet quiet ways such as he loved she couldn't ever have really loved him or she would have waited would not have changed over and over again he turned the bitter story trying to get it settled in his heart so that the sharp edges would not hurt so trying to accustom himself to the thought that she whom he had cherished through the blackness of the years that were past was not what he had thought her he stopped in the road beside a tall hedge that hid the hazard house from view and snatched out her picture that he had carried in his breast pocket till now snatched it out gazed upon it with a look that was not good to see on a young face and tore it across he took a step forward and with every step he tore a tiny fragment from the picture and flung it into the road bit by bit till the lovely face was mutilated in the dust where the feet of passers-by would grind upon it and where those great blue eyes that had gazed back at him from the picture so long would be destroyed forever it was the last thread that bound him to her that picture and when the last scrap of picture had fluttered away from him he put his head down and strode forward like one who has cast away from him his last hope the voice of miss marilla roused him like a homely pleasant sound about the house of a morning when one has had an unhappy dream he lifted his head and soldier-like dropped into the old habit of hiding his emotions her kindly face somehow comforted him and the thought of dinner was a welcome one the ugly tragedy of his life seemed to melt away for the moment as if it could not stand the light of the setting sun and her wholesome presence there was an appeal in her eyes that reached him and somehow he didn't feel like turning down her naive childlike proposition besides he was used to being cared for because he was a soldier and why not once more now when everything else had gone so rotten it was an adventure anyway and what was there left for him but adventure he asked himself with a little bitter sneer but when she mentioned a girl that was a different thing girls were all treacherous it was a new conviction with him but it had gone deep so deep that it had extended not only to a certain girl or class of girls but to all girls everywhere he had become a woman-hater he wanted nothing more to do with any of them and yet at that moment his tired disappointed hurt man's soul was really crying out for the woman of the universe to comfort him to explain to him this awful circumstance that had come to all his bright dreams 
a mother that was what he thought he wanted and miss marilla looked as if she might make a nice mother so he turned like a tired little hungry boy and followed her at least until she said girl then he had almost turned and fled yet while miss marilla coaxed and explained about mary amber he stood facing again the lovely vision of the girl he had left behind at the beginning of the long long trail and whose picture he had just trampled underfoot on this end of the trail which it now seemed to him would wind on forever alone for him as he paused on miss marilla's immaculate front steps he was preparing himself to face the enemy of his life in the form of woman the one thing really that made him go into that house and meekly submit to miss marilla's guest was that his soul had risen to battle he would fight girl in the concrete she should be his enemy from henceforth and this strange unknown girl who hated men and thought them conceited and selfish this cold inhuman creature was likely false-hearted too like the one he had loved and who had not loved him he would show her what he thought of such girls of all girls what all men who knew anything about it thought of all girls and thus reasoning he followed miss marilla into the pleasant oilcloth covered hall and up the front stairs to the spare room where she smilingly showed him the towels and brushes prepared for his comfort and left him calling cheerily back that dinner would be on the table as soon as he was ready to come down all the time he was bathing his tired dirty face and cold rough hands in the warm sweet-scented soap suds and wiping them on the fragrant towel even while he stood in front of the mirror all polished to reflect the visage of lieutenant richard h chadwick and brushed his close-cropped curls till there was not a hint of wave left in them he was hardening himself to meet girl in the concrete and get back a return for what she had done to his life then with a last final polish of the brush and a flick of the whisk-broom over the discouraged-looking uniform he set his lips grimly and went downstairs taking the precaution to fold his cap and put it into his pocket for he might want to escape at any minute and it was best to be prepared End of chapter two